Good morning, New Life Downtown. Welcome this morning. If you're joining us online, my name is Evan. I'm one of the pastors here downtown. It is great to have you with us. We're one of eight congregations of New Life Church, an evangelical charismatic church in the Pikes Peak region. And we believe our mission is to make disciples for the way that we worship and connect and serve together. If you are a guest with us today, it is great to have you. There are QR codes on the lobby. If you could fill out one of those guest cards or on the screen here, we'd love to get to know you, do some follow-up contact with you at some point in time. Would we stand together now and as we enter into worship, we're going to pray the words that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray to unify us as we come into his presence and worship him today. So the words will come up on the screen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours, now and forever, amen. Amen, let's worship this Lord of ours. We've come to worship the God who is our fortress, our strength, our strong tower. We're running to it, God. Be lifted high in this place today, Lord. Our rock, our salvation. Let's sing this together. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will be. Every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow. Yeah. 
walked away. They were not following the um, kind of the mandates and the things that Moses had laid out initially. And Hezekiah takes time to rebuild the temple and he commissions the Levites and he commissions the priests and he says, um, go out to Israel, go get them and tell them to come back to the temple of God so that we can worship them. And he sends these messengers out and part of what they say is to yield to the Lord and come into his sanctuary. Or the message version, it says to clasp God's outstretched hand, come into the temple of holy worship. And I think so often we, we walk into this place, right? Like it can kind of become the same thing. We're ready, we're in here, we're ready to praise, we're ready to sing. Um, but I wonder in our yielding, what is it that we need to release so that we can clasp onto God's outstretched hand, that we can respond to this invitation today to be present to his presence, which means we're also present and willing to surrender to the will and way of God this morning. So I don't know what you brought in today, but we don't wanna leave it at the door. If anything, we wanna intentionally bring it to the Lord. What would it look like for the, the mighty, powerful God we just sang about to enter into the things that we're holding? And do we trust him enough to release them so that we can glass, if we could just touch the hem, right, of his garment, what would we experience together this morning? Bring love. 
morning, we're just going to bring the music down really quiet and sing this old hymn together. So I just encourage you, let's just raise our voices together.
it's really fitting we're singing this song. The song just happened to be in the set today. The song about our God who enters in to the suffering of our world. Just think about that for a minute. The God who enters in to our suffering, who doesn't stand too far off like some stoic being in the sky, but actually comes close to us in our darkest days. A lot of us woke up to the news yesterday about the situation going on in Israel, Palestine. It's heartbreaking. The violence, the terrorism, the lives lost, the lives injured, so many people hurting. And church, I think it's good for us today to recognize that, to stand in the gap and to pray. We need to pray today. We're gonna pray together. We're gonna pray for peace. We're gonna pray for justice, yes. And just like we prayed earlier, we're praying, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 46 says this. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is what he does. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And this is what he says. He says, be still and know that I am God. I'm exalted among the nations. We believe that. I'm exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Just as we sing, we serve a God who doesn't stand far off. His heart is breaking with us today. As we think about all that's going on in this world, all the suffering, all the loss, all the hurt. And sometimes with a situation this complex, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to even pray. But the good news is we can just be still. Like the scripture says, be still before the God of hosts. He will be exalted in all the earth. He's the one who causes the wars to cease. So we're gonna take a minute to think about all that's going on and to ask the Holy Spirit to come to bring peace, to bring righteousness, to bring wholeness again. Shalom, shalom peace. We're gonna be still before the Lord our God. And then we're actually gonna go back into the song we just sang. But I wanna encourage you, let's not just sing it as worshipers today, let's sing it as intercessors. People praying for the kingdom of the Lord to come on earth as it is in heaven. So let's just take a moment now and be still before the Lord our maker.
continue our worship today with our giving. You can look to the screens, your left, your right for instructions on how to do that. But as we give today, let's prepare our hearts. Let's silence our minds, our souls, all the chatter, and let's prepare to hear the reading of the scriptures. Hello, my name is Paula. The Old Testament reading is found in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 26 through 28. Jeroboam thought to himself, The kingdom is in danger of reverting to the house of David. If these people continue to sacrifice at the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, they will again become loyal to their master Rehoboam, Judah's king, and they will kill me so they can return to Judah's king Rehoboam. So the king asked for advice and then made two gold calves. He said to the people, it's too far for you to go all the way up to Jerusalem. Look, Israel, here are your gods who brought you out from the land of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Sean. The New Testament reading is found in Colossians 1, 15 and 16. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation, because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible. Whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is John. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Pray like this. 
Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing as we pray. Father God, thank you that you are real and true and loving and kind and gracious and patient. Today, as we open up your word, would you speak again? Would you attune our ears to hear you, give us eyes to see you? As the psalmist prays, would you unite our hearts to fear you and unite us together that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So let us see your wisdom and walk in your ways to the glory of your name as we open up your word now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may take your seats all. Good morning, New Life Downtown. Good morning. Come on. My name is Evan. I get to pastor here, and I love you. I love talking about the Word of God, and I love the honor that I get to have in bringing a sermon today and looking at the Word of God in 1 Kings. Uh, the Jacksons, Pastor Jason and Sarah and the kiddos, are out of town this week. Uh, it is fall break in school, but more importantly, they get to be in Hawaii, so hello from Hawaii, Jacksons, um, which is a gift. Like We're all clapping because some of us know, some of us maybe don't, that they over the last three months or so, they spent over uh, about seven weeks or so in and out of hospitals, mostly in hospitals in emergency crisis situation, and they need the rest, and they need the play, and they're going to the water, and we, we actually had, um, we're, all, we're constantly looking for the wisdom of, of parents to help us in this parenting journey. Can I get an amen from someone in the house? I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. And, and there, was some parent, there was some parents, uh, some mentors of ours, at one time they said, oh yeah, when our kids are off, when, when, they're, when they're tired or overly tired or grumpy and they're just off, we take them to the water. Take, take them to the water. And that there's something just about the water, whether it's a bath or a stream or a lake or a pool or whatever, or the, the beach in this case, uh, there's something about the water that just ministers to us and it calms us and it, and it, it just it heals us in certain ways in our souls. And so uh, that's something I just feel for, for the Jacksons. God bless you, Jacksons. We love you. And may this week be a week of healing. And we look forward to welcoming you back next week. Uh, and in the meantime, we got it. We're good to go. We are in week seven of a fall series in the book of First Kings called Kings and Kingdoms. And along with First and Second Samuel, this is a practical, historical, and a theological account of Israel's monarchy. Uh, it starts with Saul, and it goes to David, and then it goes to Solomon. And now, as of last week, the kingdom is breaking apart. And now there's the northern tribes, 10 in the north that there's referred to as Israel, and there's the southern tribe, and it's Judah, and Benjamin's part of that. And, and we're focusing on what is going on. <laughs> they had all that they needed and following the Lord's ways and the promised land and the way that they wanted a king. And then all of a sudden, they're not following his ways and it's breaking apart and they're not following his wisdom as we saw last week. And Jason did last week was a brilliant job of looking at godly counsel in our lives and, and, and the seeking of counsel and then the not following of counsel. 
singing bad counsel and how that, that foolishness actually broke the kingdoms in two. Uh, and, and that was in chapter 12. And this week we're looking at 12 through 14, those chapters. So if you have your Bible, open them up and know that if you have a physical Bible, you get bonus points today, y'all. <laughs> bonus points. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that. Bonus points all over the place. And if you don't have a physical Bible, you can scroll on your phone. But if, if there's someone next to you that sees you checking football scores, just poke them. In the eye or in the side, wherever you want to, just poke them, all right? But we're looking at chapters 12 through 14, and really what's happening in these chapters are the kingdoms are divided, and instead of looking at the southern kingdom and Rehoboam as their king, we're now focused on the northern kingdom and their actions, and what's, what is their first step now that they have split off within this nation of Israel to, to form their own ten tribes, their own nation, and what happens when the people of God and their king have the revelation and the resources to build the kingdom, but fail to heed the word of God or follow the ways of God or listen to the wisdom of God. And this week in particular, we're looking at, you've, you've stopped following his ways and listening to his word and listening to wisdom and now looking at idolatry. What's happening to your worship? How is it all coming apart because of the way that you are abandoning the ways of God. And so we're going to spend this first section of our time together looking at the text. So that's why I want your Bibles open, because we're just going to go kind of Bible-heavy, section by section, through these, these three chapters. And then I'm going to pull out some of those lessons of what happens to us when our idolatry, when our worship moves away from being centered on who God is and how he's made us. And then how do we bring that back? What's the antidote? How do we come back into fellowship and unity with God and with one another? So we're going to start... This was our reading. We're going to read it again. 1 Kings chapter 12, starting in verse 26. Jeroboam thought to himself, and again, Jeroboam's the king of these northern ten tribes that have just broken off. The kingdom is in danger of reverting to the house of David. If these people continue to sacrifice at the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, which is in the southern part, it's in Judah, so it's in the southern part of the kingdom that they just broke off from, If they continue to sacrifice in Jerusalem, they will again become loyal to their master Rehoboam, Judah's king, and they will kill me so they can return to Judah's king Rehoboam. And so from the get-go, we see this conflict within Jeroboam. Something's going on where he's going, we've just broken off, we're establishing ourselves, and I'm afraid that the worship the standard practices of the people of Israel are going to revert their allegiances away from me and back to the house of David because that's where the temple is and that's where they're used to going for their feasts. That's where we're going for sacred spaces and prayers. That's where the Levites are ministering. All of their worship is centered around it and so they're worried. He's growing this fear and anxiety within him, worried, I'm going to lose them if I don't do something to keep them from practicing their worship in the way that God has subscribed it to be practiced. Verse 28, so the king asked for advice and then made two golden calves. Ugh. This is a little worse than earlier in the chapter where they asked, uh, Rehoboam asked for advice and he hears some good advice and like lighten the load of the people and he goes, oh, okay, I'm not gonna follow that. I'll ask the foolish young ones is what Jason talked about last week. And he goes, oh, double the load? Great, I'm gonna do that. It's not just bad advice. We don't even know what the advice was he was asking for. Was it, what should I do that is good and godly? Or was it, what should I do to keep control of the people? And so from, from the get-go, it's just, it's, it's nebulous and it's, it's foggy of going, what advice are you asking for? And then did you even follow it? We don't hear what the advice was that was given. 
We don't know who he was asking, what they said, and if it was followed or not. What we know is he asked for advice in some way, and then the result ended up being he made two golden calves, which is straight a, a, a reference back to coming out of Exodus, and they made the golden calves in the desert, and they said, this is your God, and it's the same thing, except this time he makes two. Continuing in verse 28, he said to the people, it's too far for you all to go all the way up to Jerusalem. It's too far. Don't drive across Colorado Springs. It's too far. I mean, I'm amazed. Uh, my wife, I love my wife, honey, I love you. Longer than 15 minutes is a long drive for her. She's like, oh, that's pretty far. That's like 20 minutes away. And I'm like, everything in Colorado Springs is 20 minutes away. And we can't avoid the stoplights. And Powers is crazy. And so, yes, but it's too far. That's what they're going for. It's too far. You just can't go that far. So look, Israel, here are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And so in his fear, he's concocting this story of they're going to revert because of their worship. And then instead of creating some sort of replication of, okay, we're going to have our own temple in some way, he creates idols. His first move is to create idols, two of them, and then name them as though this is the God that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And it's, it's, it's funny that his... His motive is losing control, but his, his manipulation to the people is, oh, this is more convenient for you. I'm really afraid of losing control, but out of that, I'm acting out in such a way that I'm going to start lying and manipulating you. Oh, you know, it's just too far. But here's your gods, so you can worship in convenience from the, from the comfort of your own, you know, tribe, home, area, place. So, funny. Uh, and... <laughs> Just, convenience is such a funny word to me, too. Karen and I, early on in our marriage, um, I'm married to Karen, by the way, um, and she's amazing. She's amazing. <laughs> Got it back. All right. We're neutral now. Um, I'm married to Karen, and, and early on in our marriage, we, we talked about the idea of convenience as a motive or a non-motive to do or not do something. And it was a couple of years in, we were just kind of wrestling with it. And I, I don't know if I, in my, in my head, I put my foot down. I was like, we are not ever going to be motivated by convenience because good and godly acts and good and godly love and good and godly care and good and godly service to other people oftentimes are not convenient. Our, our, our acting out of our faith and our love to God and love to one another oftentimes is not convenient. I'm going to talk about practicalities. I'm talking about just the pure sense that it's, that's not convenient enough. And so we ban that word. And this is just interesting that this is his whole motive. The way he's manipulating people is out of this. Okay, it's not convenient. Verse 29, he continues. He put one calf in Bethel, which is, which is on the southern border, so they wouldn't have to go past Bethel to get into Judah. So he kind of boxed off the bottom border. And he put the other one in Dan, which is towards the north. This act was sinful. I also love that the author of First Kings is just inserting his commentary. In case you didn't know, in case I need to spell it out for you, this was sinful. <laughs> Hashtag call it like it is. He continues, the people went to worship before the one calf at Bethel, before the other one as far as Dan. And Jeroboam made shrines on the high places, appointed priests from all sorts of people, but none of them were Levites. Jeroboam set a date for a celebration on the 15th day of the eighth month. It was just like the celebration in Judah, and he sacrificed on the altar. At Bethel, he sacrificed to the calves he had made. There he also installed priests in the shrines that he had made. So in eight verses... He acts out of so much fear and anxiety and paranoia of losing control 
that he goes on to manipulate the people into worshiping not in Jerusalem, using false shrines instead of at the temple, creating false idols and calling it their God with false altars and burning unacceptable offerings on a false date of a feast and not using priests and Levites to be the ones who were leading the sacrifices. Eight verses, y'all. The northern kingdom in eight verses goes off the rails and all out of him not finding or figuring out, learning, heeding, what is the way of the Lord? What is the will of the Lord? How do I walk in that way? How does this worship work? And he reverts the entire northern ten tribes to idolatry instead of walking in God's ways. And with all the division in in our culture and the disagreements in our culture, even within our churches, I find it fascinating that that in all the things that are breaking apart, the kingdoms are breaking, the worship of God is breaking off, that Jeroboam in this context is focused on the worship of God's people as a unifying part of their community and their identity and their faith. And it's the worship that would unify them that he is afraid of. I'm afraid if they go back that they will revert because something about worship is going to reunify them. And it makes me wonder how powerfully unifying is our worship. The 30 minutes that we started, I don't know where you came from in your week, but within 10 minutes, I feel the voices in the room and 20 minutes later, we're all in it. I started crying. I felt Jason Jackson's spirit move in this place. I was like, why am I tearing up right now? And then we're able to pray for brothers and sisters and fellow humans in Israel and Gaza. And there is something about the worship of God and the worship gathering of God's people that unifies us to something greater than just ourselves and our own will. And Jeroboam knows it. And that's what scares him. I'm going to lose power if they go and worship God. So I'm going to create false gods and false worships, false priests, false altars. I'm going, to, I'm going to throw the whole thing off into idolatry, calling something God that is not God. This is idolatry. So that I can maintain power, my will, my kingdom, mine, my precious. And there is something about worship that is going to unify us that we need. We need it. So this is how chapter 12 ends, and then it goes on into chapter 13 and 14. We don't have time to go into all of the text, but out of that place of idolatry and false worship, he then gets sent, Jeroboam gets sent two prophets. One is not named, it's just the man of God from Judah, which is an interesting thing that there was no man of God in Israel in those 10 tribes that I guess could fill that calling to go and speak against this king. So someone from Judah, a prophet from Judah goes, and then Ahijah, and we see this in, in chapter 14, it goes to Jeroboam. But Jeroboam sends his wife in disguise to try to trick the prophet who was blind. And the Spirit of God comes and reveals, hey, he's trying to deceive you, or she's trying to deceive you. And, and so I don't have time for all those stories, but I want to tell you the end of those stories. And you could fill in the reading on your own. Chapter 13, verses 33 through 34. So this is the the old prophet from Judah that goes. And this is the result of it. Jeroboam doesn't do it, whatever he was told. And the Bible says this. Even after this happened, Jeroboam didn't change his evil ways. So the word of the Lord had been revealed in general, the ways of worship for the community of the people. And now specifically a prophet is going to him and Jeroboam still didn't change his evil ways. And in this way, the house of Jeroboam acted sinfully, 
leading to its downfall and elimination from the earth. So fill in the blank on how that story went, all right? Chapter 14, starting verse 8, this is the second prophet, that uh, Elijah, uh, that his wife goes to. God responds through the prophet. I tore the kingdom from David's house and gave it to you, but you haven't been like my servant David who kept my commands and followed me with all of his heart by doing only what was right in my eyes. Instead, you have done more evil than any who were before you. You have made other gods and metal images to anger me. You have turned your back on me. Therefore, I'm going to bring disaster on Jeroboam's house. Two prophets speaking against the evil, idolatrous ways of Jeroboam. Jeroboam, worried, concerned, paranoid, fearful that he's going to lose power, and reverts the northern ten tribes of Israel to idolatry and their ways and their practices and their worship. And the whole thing, not just which king, two kingdoms, the whole thing is going to fall apart. And we'll see that in later chapters as Assyria takes over and sends them out into exile. I want to make three observations of idolatry in this text, and I want to talk about three potential antidotes for how do we come back? How are our hearts healed? How are are, are us as the people of God reunified with Christ as the head and with one another. But first, the, the three observations of idolatry. Breaking this kingdom apart. With our idolatry, our sinfulness is often rooted in our selfishness. And let that settle in. With idolatry, our sinfulness is often rooted in our selfishness. My will, my plan, my name, my kingdom, me, mine, mine. It's what I want. It's my willfulness coming out in such a way that it actually starts, just like we see in Jeroboam, it starts revealing the condition of our hearts. Is there lordship of Christ? Is there, is there a God who we, we know and see and trust and, and, and he is God and we're, we're recognizing that? Or is it mine? And it's actually then our selfishness that reveals and leads then to sinfulness. And in disclosure on this, I'm not talking about the manipulative piece. I think sometimes in, in, our, in our conversations and our relationships, we have these easy lines of, well, you're being so selfish. When actually what we're doing is fighting for our own health. Mental health, relational health, something that is good and healthy, and somebody else is manipulating us into believing, oh, I'm just being selfish. The disclaimer that that exists and we need wisdom and we need counsel to really sort out our hearts in those situations. I'm referring more so to the way that God has plainly revealed himself through his word, through Jesus the Son, and saying, I I have a certain way for you to walk that leads to life, that leads to goodness, that leads to prosperity, and you're rebelling against that because you have some other way that you think is better. It's your selfishness that's leading to the sinfulness. And Jeroboam, in his context, he was afraid of losing power and control, and so he sets up all these false houses of worship and false idols. But for us, I think our idolatry doesn't lead us to wanting our own way. It's not like Jeroboam was like, oh, I want my, like, I'm going to do idolatry, and then I'll figure out maybe that leads me astray. I think idolatry doesn't lead us to wanting our own way. Rather, us wanting our own way leads to idolatry. It's so in us that we want our own way and we want it, we want what we want and we want it in our way and in our timing and according to our plans and all of those things that we're just like, oh, well, 
If I don't get that, then I'm going to set up a false God. I'm going to reprioritize something that maybe isn't what God has prescribed, but it's because I want it. It's mine. We become demanding and controlling and impatient and even mean. Uh, a story of this, I think that, it, it, that rather us wanting our own way leads to like, us acting out in ungodly ways, uh, is my son, my youngest son, Owen. I have three boys, and I love them. And my youngest one is 15 months. He has 15 teeth. He is learning mobility. So he, he's, he's walking if we hold his hands, but otherwise he does a power scoot where it's like both legs and he's doing this across the floor and he can get almost wherever he wants to go. And so he's learning his own little will, right? Like you all, we've all seen these kids. They're like, oh, they have a will and now they have mobility so they can get what they want and they can go make that happen. And watch out if he doesn't get it. Uh, he, he's finding his willfulness of going, this is what I want. And, and with Karen and I, he's starting, like his hand is pretty quick where he'll be like, he can't talk yet. But he can go, ah, and point this just big gesticulation. And then he, he's learning what no means. And what does he do to that word no? Ah, no. Ah. <laughs> Child of God, the answer is still no. And God help me right now in my parenting skills. No. Uh, or with his brother the other day, this was a week ago. Brother comes up crying, what happened? Owen wanted something I was playing with and I wouldn't let him have it. So what did he do? He leaned over and he bit me in the arm. <laughs> obviously, obviously he is one, so he can do what we as adults cannot do. We have to be self-controlled. But yes, my selfishness is leading to sinfulness. I want it. I want it now. And so we start acting out in ways that are more self-serving and self-gratifying than godly and good. That are more about me getting what I want than me serving the people of God around me using the gifts and the calling that God has brought me to. So number one, in idolatry, just an observation, our sinfulness is often rooted in our selfishness. And number two, we then end up making false images of God. Now, I'm assuming most of you have not made golden calves lately. I think that's a safe assumption. If you have, I hope there's a really good reason for it. Maybe you're an Etsy store and you really like cows. Like, who knows why you made that? But I'm assuming you haven't made any false calves lately or images. Uh, but there's a whole, a whole reason behind God saying, don't make false images of me. And one, it's a disrespect to him and it's a disrespect to us. And let me tell you why. First, God can't re be reduced to any image that we could make. There is nothing that we could make as people and say, this is God. This takes the place of God. This is so good that it, it should just, God, we don't even need God anymore. He can't be reduced to that. And the moment we start thinking that, we have lost sight of who God really is and our belief in his grandeur that he is so big and vast and mysterious that we can't comprehend it, yet we're trying to do our best. That he is so powerful and sovereign that we might not really get the ways that he's interacting in the world and the conflicts and the strife and the brokenness, but there is something that we are lending our faith and our trust, which is why we say we have faith in God. Do you have faith? I have faith, brother. I have faith, sister. Great. You have faith in something greater than your comprehension can grasp. 
And in that, when we reduce any image of God, we are, we are disrespecting, we are reducing him to an image that is impossible to capture who he really is. And second, we, not only can we not make God's image, but God has already put his image in us. And the disrespect we show at that moment is to say, God, I'm trying to make an image of you. And he's going, I've already done that. I'm telling you not to do it because I've already done that. And you, my beloved, my creation, male and female, I created them in our image, is the beginning of this whole story, Genesis 2. That when we create images, it relegates God to something that we could create which is impossible. And it loses the fact that God has already put his image in us. This is why we don't create false images. This is why we stay away from idolatry. Our sin leads to selfishness. We make false images. And then what else happens in idolatry? We find false ways rather than follow God's word. When it's me and mine and what I want and my will, what we end up doing is finding false ways to get what we want instead of learning and leaning in and trusting God's word and God's way and saying, okay, this is the way that you've shown us already. I'm going to walk in that way. Instead, we find false ways. Jeroboam found so many alternative ways. The golden calves, the different cities for worship, for convenience sake, false altars, false priests, false feasts. But God's word was already revealed in the scrolls. It was known by the priests. It was practiced amongst the people. But instead of following the ways that are clearly revealed, we skewed them to fit our need for control and our selfish ambition. And the list of how we do this is long. I was trying to think of what are all the ways that we go about things and like not not rebellious, but we just find false ways to accomplish the things because that's what we want. Our false ways rather than follow God's word. And I I was just I was instantly struggling. Like, man, this list is going to be long, so I'll just I'll just parse it back a little bit. Quick returns over long-term faithfulness. We do it all the term, all the time. What's the quick hit? What's the instant result? How can I microwave this to get what I want instead of letting it just, letting it just go for a long season, long-term faithfulness? Quick arousal over the depth of intimacy. What's exciting to me versus what's committed and true and firm and faithful? We see this in our friendships. We see this in our relationships. We see this in our sexuality. We're looking for this quick arousal. What's exciting to me rather than how do I walk out faithfulness? an intimacy that is farmed within that. We act out of our anxiety rather than God's patience. Ugh, man. Y'all, my brain sometimes gets so scattered and that's the moment I know. I'm just anxious about something. I'm trying to, and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm, try, I'm not quite Jeroboam, I don't think. Where it's like, they're gonna leave me. Idols. I don't think I do that, but I do think, oh, I'm so anxious on the inside. How can I start padding that? How can I come up with quick fixes to to just minister to my own anxiety rather than find a centering and a patience and a peace in the Lord? Last one, our willfulness over our waiting. The ways of God require waiting. And we hate that. We just straight up like, wait, why would I want to do that? 
Whenever I tell, you know, our, our kids, like, um, this is the only time, my brother and I was just talking about this, the only time our kids are aware of what a commercial is is during football right now. And they're like, what is this? It's a commercial. Skip it. I can't. <laughs> what do you mean you can't? I want to watch football now. It's not until 2. I want to watch it now. I can't. Okay, put on Paw Patrol. Well, we can watch that right now. Instant stream. We have such a cultivated willfulness in ourselves other than, rather than waiting and trusting in God's way. Trusting in God's word. Surrendering our own ways. And I mean, it reminds me too, like, like even God doing things in the seasons. Not, you know, not just, oh, I'm going to wait on the Lord and maybe, maybe by this time next week it'll come. I mean, some of you have been waiting years for the things of God because you're walking in his ways and you're being faithful. And my encouragement to you is, God bless you. Don't let go. Keep grasping with the fact that God has revealed his way and his truth, and it's leading to the Father. And maybe we can't quite understand it, but it's still good and right. Okay? But in season... We are believing that there is certain things that are produced in the season and that we can't force. And, and it makes me think back, uh, I was born in California, in East LA, in a mighty suburb called Whittier. Yeah, okay, great. Most people don't know, and they do their rejections from there, right? Eh, not the claim to fame, but yes, right. But I grew up in California at a time where there was a lot of little farms, fruit stands all over the roads, which we kind of have farmer's markets here in Colorado, and we're really excited about Palisade Peach season. But in California, it's on a whole other level where you would wait all season, and then the strawberry would be ripe. California strawberries, y'all, on the side from the farm they picked that day. And what I do now? I go to King Supers and get strawberries in Mexico whenever I want or from Latin and South America because we like seasons, waiting for seasonal fruit. Nah, we can ship that. We can get it here. I remember Prime delivery came out. We're like, three days? That's really fast. Two days, that's even better. One day, next day delivery? I want it same day via a drone. Get it to me now. <laughs> Ugh. We are so impatient. And I think it reveals a level of our own idolatry of I want it now in my way and my willfulness and we're trying to exert it upon every influence that we can around us. And so we look at it and we look at idolatry and we look at Jeroboam and we look at the people of God and their worship and we can see all of these sinful things. They're, they're, they're sin, sinfulness is often rooted in selfishness. We make false images of God when he cannot be reduced to an image and we are supposed to be the bearers of his image anyways and we find false ways rather than follow God's word. But my, my beloved brothers and sisters, I want to say today there is hope. We do not have to follow in these same idolatrous ways. There is hope. And I just want to, want to bring up three antidotes and then I want to lead us into a time of prayer. The first antidote, I think, in, in realizing how can we as the people of God be unified in worship and avoid idolatry is first to believe in God and then God's image in us. And I know this sounds simple. Even writing it, I kept on being like, this sounds too simple. Believe in God. But I think so many times our own idolatry and our own willfulness expressed outwardly is because we're not believing some part of God. Yeah, God might exist, but do I believe in his faithfulness? Do I believe in his goodness? Do I believe in his provision in some way? Is there some part of God that I'm not believing in 
And when we come to the point of saying, well, how do we stay away from idolatry? How do we follow in the Lord and in the way of God that leads to life, that leads to the Father? How do we do that? It first starts with saying we believe in God and everything the scriptures have revealed to be true of him, even if we can't quite comprehend it. I'm gonna trust beyond my comprehension there's still a God who's good. And so I'm gonna gonna try to figure that out. I'm gonna contend with it. And then believe in his image in us. That I think so many times we look at each other as a point of conflict instead of, as C.S. Lewis put it, anybody that we see in our days is the most divine thing we encounter in that day because the image of God is in them. That when we go about our days, whether it's here at church or anyone we encounter, yes, sinfulness has marred everything. Brokenness exists in our world in amazing degrees in which we can't comprehend and we feel powerless to affect. But the image of God is not fully lost. The brothers and the sisters, the males and the females that we walk around encountering every day are created in the image of God. And so us to recover true worship of the one true God means, God, I believe in you and everything that you've said and who you are, and I believe in the way that you've made everyone in the Nashai encounter. So that every encounter that you have is no longer just a secular moment of just, oh, that was some person. It becomes an opportunity for a sacred encounter of there's some part of God on them, in them, working through them. And I'm just trying to figure out how do we, how do we interact with that grace right now? How can I be a conduit of grace in that person's life to draw out the godliness which wish they were called to in their very created being? If the first antidote is believe in God and God's image in us, the second one is to better reflect God. If we're called to bear his image, y'all, we need some work to better reflect him in this world, to better and more so become like Christ. This is our New Testament reading, Colossians 1, chapter 15. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the one who was first over all creation because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and the earth, the things that are visible, the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. But if we're gonna better reflect God on earth, it starts with us gazing upon the person of Jesus. God, what's the truest image that you've actually called us to? The person of Jesus. The very image of God, incarnate in skin and flesh, in bones and blood, walking amongst us, showing us, this is the calling that I've called you to. This is the kindness, this is the mercy, this is the grace, this is the power that I've called you to. If we really want to believe in God and his image in us, and better reflect God, it takes us gazing upon the one who is God himself. Jesus, how did you do this? How did you do it? How did you respond in certain situations? How did you, how did you interact with those in need? How did you speak out against authorities? How did you bring the kingdom? How did you walk in God's ways? Are we sitting and gazing upon him? Are we intent to look at him and his word? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we being affected by being surrounded by the Spirit? Are we looking for the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus at work in our world? 
Are we making ordinary moments redeemed as holy because we're seeing God in a new light in it? God, you're here, but where and how are we looking and gazing upon Jesus so that we might become like him? And if our call is to believe in God, in believing in God, we're becoming like God and bearing Christ's image in this world. At some point in time, what we're going to run into is us wanting our own way. I believe in you. I'm walking in your ways. I'm becoming like you. And then I just hit it. And what about this? And what about this timing? And what about this situation? And what, what do I do now? And there is a moment, if we're really gazing at Jesus, that he's already shown us what to do. And that's surrender to God. Surrender to God. There is not a part of this faith life where it does not demand surrender to the word and the will and the way and the wisdom of God. That that is what we need. And God doesn't make frivolous demands of us. His instructions and commands are meant for our good and for his glory. And if we're gazing upon Jesus, Jesus, how did you do this? How did you unite? Instead of, like Jeroboam, striving for power and control and making false gods that were not God at all and and doing it in your own willful ways like Jeroboam. Jesus, how did you do it? And what we see is Jesus in the garden praying to the Father to take this cup from him and ending it with, but not my will, but yours be done. Father, I'm praying, I'm spending time with you, I'm one with you, and I'm pleading you I want a different way. And he runs right into surrender to the Father and saying, but I trust you. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And this is the kingdom way that we're called to. It's the way that God is working in our lives. And so I I want to invite Micah and the band up and Blake to lead us to the table. But I want us to pray again as they come up. Through the words of Jesus and his prayer. Because if we're trying to rescue ourselves as Jesus has rescued us from the ways of idolatry and believing in God and and stepping into what is bearing the image of God like and reflecting God and surrendering to God, Jesus this whole time has been teaching us. This is how you do it. You walk in my ways according to my will to the glory of my name and at some point you're gonna have to say, but not my will and your will be done. And he taught us to pray like that already. We opened the service with it. It was our New Testament reading. As the band starts playing, I would just love for you to spend a moment. You can eyes open, eyes closed, doesn't matter. But in a posture of surrender in some way, would you just open your hands heavenward? And I'm gonna spend a moment repenting of the idols that we've made in our lives. And then coming to the feet of Jesus and saying, show us again the way to the Father. Show us again the surrender to him that leads to your kingdom come. So with hands open, let's... If the Spirit is bringing something to mind, a a moment of repentance for the way that you've elevated something in life above him or in the way that you've made something good ultimate and it replaces him and doesn't lead to him, just speak that, that confession, that repentance. Money is not our God. Productivity is not our God. Efficiency is not our God. 
Grit and determination are not our God. Ecstasy and high is not our God. Medication is not our God. Whatever it would be for you, just call it out. I want my will, I want my way, so I'm going to do this thing in this way, even though it's not the way that God's calling me to. So, Lord, we repent. We repent. And in the spirit of your son, Jesus, who showed us the way, who himself is the way and the truth and the life that leads us to the Father, who came that we might have life and have it in eternal abundance. We pray this prayer that he taught us to pray, and I want us to pray this slow, line by line with a pause. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pause, pause right there. God, we believe that you're real, that you're a father who's created children, put your image on us, you love us, and you're holy. Next line. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Pause. God, we're surrendering our own will and our own ways today. Our plans, like you say in Isaiah, as high as the heavens above the earth, ways higher than ours. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Next line. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Pause. Our provisional needs, God, we're looking and trusting in you. And we're following your way instead of holding grudges with clenched feasts, but they wronged me. Releasing that to you. Forgiveness, even as you've forgiven us. Next line. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Pause. Lead us not into temptation, God. The temptation to do it on our own, our own will, our own ways, our own glorification of ourselves. I could figure this out. I don't need God. He's going too slow. Deliver us from temptation. Let's say this last line together in victory. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. So friends, we come here to Jesus' table. The one place we return week after week to see how we can do any of this. We see the image of God reflected in the words we say at this table. We see the love of God reflected in the way that Jesus taught us to come to this table. So we invite any who call Jesus Lord to come to this table with us. And if that doesn't describe you, we thank you for being here, for coming to explore what it means to follow Christ, to maybe be brought even a step closer to walking with him more faithfully. And if you are ready to 
take that step. We offer one more prayer for you as an opportunity to confess your need alongside of us for Christ. Let's pray this prayer of confession together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And it is my joy to announce this good news to you. It's true not because I say these words, but because of what Jesus has done for us. So would you open up your hands and receive again the mercy of God? That Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And this proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. And as those who have been raised to new life in Jesus, take some time to stand and greet those around you in the peace of the Lord. Let's proclaim these truths together to be reminded and remembered in Christ again, that Jesus is here. His Spirit is with us. So lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. It, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give Him thanks and praise. Yes, Lord. It is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. You formed us in your image. Can we remember that, God? You breathed your life into us. You sustain us, Jesus. When our love failed, your love has remained steadfast. And when we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. And it's in this story we see this coming to life. That on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Exactly, yes. That's good news today, church. So here at this table, a place of remembrance, of not just recollection, but being put back together, and of encounter. Let's sing this prayer to invite the Spirit to stir among us in this space.
So at this time, I'll invite our servers to come forward. And friends, these are the gifts of God and they're given for us, the people of God. Receive them in remembrance that Jesus died for you. And feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. If this is your first time here, again, we welcome you. You're welcome to just follow along with the congregation as we go through each section from the front to the back, out the left and around. If you need more instruction than that, you can scan the QR code on the screens and there'll be some more details about how and why we practice communion here. And if you're unable to come forward, just ask someone alongside of you. Let us be the body of Christ together. They'll bring the elements back to you. Let's continue worshiping as we come here to this table, a place of remembrance and encounter.
Can we give God some praise for all that he's done with us today? Amen. So friends, if you're here and God stirred in your heart in any kind of way, you need someone to pray with, the same team that just served you communion is here to pray with you as well. And as we go from here, we're not just walking out of a door like we come in and come out like nothing's happened, but we're sent. We're sent into the world, recognizing that we've been made one in Christ. We're being made one with each other. And we're being made one in ministry to all the world. So go in peace to love and serve God today. Throughout this week, we hope to see you back here next Sunday and see you around the city. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.